Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a multitude of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our presentation of the testimony of FBI electronics engineer Dwight Falkowski and recap the direct examination of Chris Wilson, a fellow lawyer and former friend of the defendant. We also began our look at the defense team's cross-examination of the witness. In this installment, we continue our review of the cross of Mr. Wilson. That's all coming up right after the break. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P. It is the morning of February 9th, 2023, day 12 of the trial of Alex Murdoch. As we concluded our last episode, defense attorney Jim Griffin asked Chris Wilson about his observations of Alex Murdoch's behavior as it pertained to the defendant's alleged opioid addiction. Wilson states that he didn't notice any erratic or strange behavior from the defendant and stated that Murdoch seemed capable in his personal and professional life. As we begin today, Jim Griffin continues his cross-examination by asking Mr. Wilson to hearken back to some of his earliest interactions with Alex Murdoch, beginning with their relationship while the two men were in school together. So I'm going to go, go, go back, cover some ground you've already talked about. Sure. Law school, you and Alex were roommates at one point in time. Right? We were, yes sir. And, and then he actually married Maggie while he was in law school, right? He did. And you married Dana after you graduated or, or while you are in law school as well? Shortly after graduation. And, and Maggie and Dana were sorority sisters at University of South Carolina? They were. Now, you went to South Carolina Law School, but you were... Um, Walford that, College in Spartanburg. Harvard of the Upstate, right? <laughs> yes, sir. And, uh, you, um, and you became really good friends with Alec during law school. Alec and I got to be... We were friends and... Hung out a lot, studied together, did some things like that first year, um, but we got to be much closer friends Second, uh, throughout that end of the first year of law school. We lived together second year, and he married Maggie into our third year of law school. And and uh, and then you married Dana, and you all would do a lot of things together as couples, wouldn't you not? Yes, sir. And one thing you all like to do is go to South Carolina football games. Right? Yes, sir. And, you know, Alec played for the University of South Carolina. You knew that. Yes, sir. And had a knee injury when he was playing. Uh, I did know that, yes, sir. And then, um, then as you grow as married couples, you have children. He has children. Your oldest daughter was one year younger than, than Buster. Yes, sir. And um, and then you have a son who's two years, two younger, years than younger than than Paul, right? Yes, sir. And yet your daughter and Paul Paul were really good friends. Yes, sir. And friends with Buster as well. Yes, sir. And, and our kids grew up together. Exactly. Even our youngest, who's younger than their two, they all grew up together. 
As Jim Griffin continues his questioning, Alex Murdoch bends over and shakes his head, appearing to be affected emotionally by the witness testimony. And, uh, and, and you and Dana and your kids and Maggie and Alec and Paul and Buster would uh, vacation together when they were younger before they kids started wanting to do things yes. on their own, right? Yes, sir. We would um, we would vacation together and go, you know, on trips away while the kids were younger and would follow you around. And as they got older, kind of doing their own things, those vac- those vacations kind of uh, went by the wayside. But we would um, spend a lot of time down at Edisto Beach. We have a house down at Edisto, and they had a house at Edisto, and so a lot of our time together would be spent down there or at Columbia, Carolina football games or things like that. Right. And my wife and Maggie were were sorority sisters and became much closer friends through Alec and my friendship. And I'll, t- I'll get on to that a little more. And you did a lot of work with Alex. You weren't in the same law firm with him, but you worked on the same cases or related cases a lot, correct? Yes, sir. More so in the beginning, but throughout the entire time I've known him, yes, sir. And, and so just sort of some examples. So if two people were in an automobile accident, one's a driver and one's a passenger, the same lawyer shouldn't represent both parties to the accident, right? In most cases, yes, sir. And so frequently you would send him the passenger or the driver or vice versa? Uh, Sometimes it would be that. Sometimes it would just be straight, I represent somebody who's been injured in some way and I need you to help me with that one person. But sometimes what you're talking about there about referring the one of the two people out is called conflict of interest to conflicting him out. Right. And Ellick would conflict me cases sometimes and I would conflict him cases sometimes. And you had a lot of respect for his ability as a lawyer, right? I wouldn't have associated him or sent people to him if I didn't. And you wouldn't associate him on a Ferris case if you didn't think he could do a good job? Right? Not at all. And he did a really good job in the Ferris case, right? Yes, sir. I mean, our result was very, our clients, were, our client was very satisfied with the result. Okay. And and Alec participated fully in, in the entire case. And I think Mr. Waters asked, he even gave the closing argument to the judge. He did. I mean, we had to spend a lot of time getting ready for trial, um, even though it wasn't in front of a jury, which sometimes doesn't come with quite as much um, quite as many things to have to do. Uh, even in front of a judge, it takes a lot of work to put a case together. And um, so we spent a lot of time getting ready for that trial and, and even working the weekend before it started in Columbia out of out of a central location there. And and had you tried cases with Alec in the past? I have. Tried cases with Alec in front of the juries like this right here? Yes, sir. And um, and I don't have to tell you, but you know, doing what we're doing here can be very stressful, can it not? It's very stressful, yes, sir. Long nights. And get up early in the morning. A lot of hours juggling a lot of things. And did you ever were around him during the stress of the trial or cases where he just totally lost it, lost his faculties, just went off on the went off on the handle because he's on opioids? Did you ever see anything like that? No, sir. He was able to function in high stress situations, correct? Yes, sir. I mean, sometimes getting like a focus on the case and on what you were trying to get accomplished was difficult, but that was from. That was from all the way back in law school. That was from day one. But when he focused, he was extremely he was extremely able to get it done. And one one witness described Alex normal as being fidgety, mm, just sometimes not as focused as you'd like for him to be. He, he was jug- he was taking phone calls and talking to this and looking at that, taking another phone call, and you know sometimes you have to say, look, man, we got to sit down and focus on this and get this taken care of. That brings me to another point. Would he always take a phone call if Maggie called him? Always. Would he always take a phone call if Paul called him? Always. 
would he always take a phone call if Buster called? Always. No matter what was going on? Not when, I mean, when I was around him, if, if I mean, if we were in court, he wouldn't take a phone call, but in depositions, he would sometimes get up and walk out and take calls. And if you were talking to him, I mean, trying to get a full conversation out with him in one breath was impossible because he was going to take a phone call. And and you traveled around with him um, for business? Yes, sir. Um, did he, um, was he frequently talking to his wife and sons? Yes, sir. Seemed to be. I mean, you talked to him multiple times a day, right? Yes, sir. Uh, when you were with him, did you see him talking to Maggie, Paula, Buster, multiple times? I mean, I could tell who he was talking to on the phone. Um, we didn't have to travel as much together later in the last three or four or five years just because we were working less cases. Sometimes we wouldn't have to go as many places for depositions and things. But, yes, if we were traveling, I could tell he was talking to his family on the phone. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Defense attorney Jim Griffin continues his cross-examination of Chris Wilson by asking about his observations of the personal and professional behavior of Alex Murdoch. Was it hard to get Alec to go on guy trips? Did he prefer to spend time with his family over guy trips? He seemed to, yes, sir. I mean, he most any trip that I think I've ever been on with Alec generally was family. Right. Um, he's not the kind of guy that would take off and go spend a golfing weekend with us, or I think they like to spend their time hunting and fishing and doing things as a family. And, and you um, went back to this Ferris case that was tried in Columbia. Do you remember Maggie coming up and staying with him during the trial? I don't. I mean, I, I I think she may have come up like that Sunday before we started the trial. Um, I was staying at home in Columbia, and he was staying in a hotel. So um, I think that's why I stayed in the hotel, because Maggie was coming. And we were in that point. I think we were just renting a house because we were between places and didn't have a lot of space. But I, I, I couldn't. I wouldn't want to testify to that under oath. But I think so. Sure. Alex Murdoch again begins rocking back and forth as Jim Griffin continues this line of questioning. You would go to lawyer conventions with Alex? I mean, you, you would go to the same conventions. And you, sure. And you mentioned the trial lawyers, one at Hilton Head, first weekend of every August? Yes, sir. And um, before the tragic events of June 7, 2021, would he always go with Maggie and Paul and Buster? Most all the lawyers that go to that convention bring their families along. It's... It's a big time that everybody gets to know each other, know each other's family, and Maggie and Paul and Buster would always be there. And uh, during football season, South Carolina, did he and Maggie have season tickets? Yes, sir. Go to the games with his family? Yes, sir. 
And you would tailgate with them? Yes, sir. They would generally have a family tailgate that Miss Libby would put together. And then when she got sick, I don't remember who kind of took it over, but they always had a family tailgate. And if um, if we weren't tailgating with them, we would always make it a point to stop by and at least speak. And he had um, they had season basketball tickets. Yes, sir. Right. And he and Maggie um, would go to just about every home basketball game. Yes, sir. For University of South Carolina men's basketball team. Yes, sir. And we had some pretty bad basketball teams over the years. Right? <laughs> they were actually pretty good, I think, in those years. But okay, I think that was Final Four. I, actually, I think Alec bought the tickets for the year after the Final Four when they tanked. So, <laughs> right. yeah, you might not have seen the best basketball. And um, and then we went to baseball games together. Yes, sir. And, and I don't know how much baseball we we didn't do a lot of baseball ourselves, but I think they did some. And and the and we'll get to this, but the weekend before. Um, June 7th, it would be June 6th and June 5th, you actually went to the Super Regionals with Maggie and Alec and Buster and his girlfriend Brooklyn, you and your wife, correct? Yes, sir. Um, it was only on that Saturday that we were with them, uh, which would be June the 5th. They had come up for the weekend Carolina baseball tournament, and my wife and two of our children met up with them on Saturday and went and hung out at some mutual friends' place for a while before we all went to the ball game, kind of separated and went to different seating areas at the ball game. Jim Griffin next asks about Mr. Wilson's observations of Alex Murdoch's relationship with his family. Would you agree that Alex's number one priority was his family? Yes, sir, appeared that way to me. When I say his family, I'm talking about Maggie, and Paul, and Buster. His whole family, yes, sir. And um, you, you mentioned that you became good friends with Maggie's family, Mr. and Ms. Branstetter. Yes, sir. And her sister Marion. and Not so much with Marion and her husband Bart. I mean, I knew them and I was around them, but not, not, not so much um, friendly or close to them as with Maggie's mom and daddy. And, and what was Alex's relationship with Maggie's dad? Seemed to have a very good relationship with them. Spent a lot of time together. They would come to Moselle or... Or, or Maggie and Alec and their children would go visit them in Somerville, or Papa T would come up sometimes and try to hunt or do things like that. You knew him as Papa T as well? Yes, sir. And what did you know Miss Branstetter as? Miss Ken. I think they called her Grandma, but I called her Miss Ken. And, and they vacationed at Edisto. Uh, Mr. and Miss Branstetter with Alec and Maggie and Buster and Paul, right? They would be at Edisto some, yes, sir. And, and, um, can you tell us a little bit about Alec's relationship with Paul and Buster's friends? Um, Alec uh, and Maggie both seemed to welcome. I mean, they were great to my children and seemed to welcome my children into their house and into their lives and did the same for Paul and Buster's other friends. And at Edisto, was, was Alec and Maggie's home, was that opened up to a lot of Paul and Buster's friends? They have a lot of people staying over, coming over and visiting? You know, um... It seemed to be that way. I mean, I, I wasn't over there all the time when there were children or kids around, but sometimes, yes, sir. And my kids would say, especially my daughter would say, I'm going over to hang out with Paul and Paul Buster at, at their place. Right. And um, and do you remember, sort of move forward, uh, Memorial Day weekend of 2021? I do. You and your family go to Edisto that weekend? We did. And was Alec down there with Maggie and Paul and Buster and some of Paul's friends? They were. And do you remember... Um, getting together over at Alex Maggie's home over that weekend. Yeah, we got together um, Saturday evening, I believe it was. Um, we got together to cook out 
over at their house Saturday evening with them and a bunch of other people. And Maggie and Alex getting along as far as you knew? Yes, sir. Um, was it a fun time had by everyone, best yes. you could tell? Yes, sir. I think it was um, right around about Alex's birthday we were doing. We not only were cooking out like a big like a big shrimp bog, um, but also having some cake and kind of a little birthday celebration. Right. I want to play that right quick. Jim Griffin plays a video without audio taken during that Memorial Day weekend where friends and family of Alex Murdoch wish him a happy birthday. As the video plays, Griffin asks Mr. Wilson questions, and both the witness and the defendant appear to be affected emotionally. Who's that? It's Paul. Uh, Alec? Yes, sir. And that's you? Yes, sir. Is that a typical family gathering? Was this something like really didn't happen very often? No, I was, I mean, the times that I was around them and their family, things were much like that. After the video ends, Griffin asks Mr. Wilson about his subsequent encounters with Alex Murdoch. So that, that was the weekend of um, Memorial Day weekend, and then the very next weekend was the Super Regional Baseball Games in Columbia, right? Yes, sir. And that's when you um, you met up with Maggie and Alec on Saturday at a tailgate with y'all had a mutual friend, I think maybe whose son played? Or? Son played for Carolina, yes, sir. Right. I think it was one of Maggie and Dana's sorority sisters um, and a guy that Alec knew from college, but I don't know if they were, I don't know how they knew each other, and their son played first base for Carolina. Okay. And the... Uh, and it was Maggie, Alec, Buster, and his girlfriend, Brooklyn. And you, um, you stayed... You maybe you didn't see Alec and Maggie on Sunday, but I, I think y'all text communicated, or, you know, just about how poorly we talked. And my wife talked to Maggie. Um, we Saturday after we tailgated before the game, we all split and went our separate ways to go sit in different areas. And I don't think we saw them after that on Saturday. We were supposed to get together on Sunday um, or try to get together on Sunday, but didn't do so and ended up going to the game separately. But we talked or texted, and I think Dana talked or texted with Maggie. Sure. And I, and I believe you testified earlier that during this weekend you had learned, gotten an update on Alec's dad, and he wasn't doing so well? Yes, sir. I know on Sunday I talked to Alec when they were going home or they were headed home, and we were talking about just how the Gamecocks had you know, blown the chance to move forward, and we talked about his dad, and uh, that's when he told me things were getting much worse than Mr. Randolph. Okay. But I, I kind of already knew that from the days, and, you know, leading up to that. I already kind of knew that. We had talked about it before, but I remember that Sunday, him telling me things were really getting much worse. And you knew that with a common knowledge in the, in the tight-knit legal community of Hampton and Colleton area? I mean, I can only speak for myself, but I knew that, and people seemed to know that, yes, sir. And Mr. Randolph was uh, beloved by a lot of people, was he not? Yes, sir. Not just his immediate family, but broader legal community. And most people I knew that knew Randolph seemed to respect and love him. Really, everybody I knew. Right. And, and, and we know he died on June the 10th, right? Thursday, June 10th, yes, sir. Jim Griffin then pivots to a line of questioning regarding the case involving Andrew Ferris. Alex Murdoch and Chris Wilson had represented Ferris following a 2015 vehicle crash involving Ferris and a Mack truck. In February of 2021, Ferris was awarded a $5.5 million settlement with $792,000 in attorney fees due to Wilson and Murdoch's PMPED law firm. 
fees that Murdoch later acknowledged stealing. You mentioned something. I just want to go back to the Ferris case and and you and Alec and Mr. Ridgway, who are representing the plaintiffs, Ms. Ferris uh, or the estate, um, that that you thought Mack Truck didn't want to produce some discovery and that that leveraged y'all an ability to basically just have a damages hearing yes. with a judge. Is that right? Yes. Yeah, so we had some discovery we had asked for. They sought not to produce it. We had some motions to compel that were argued. I think we were successful in those. I mean, I, I can't say what they were thinking, but it felt like that we had an opportunity to structure a good chance for our client to to get a good result because um, they didn't want us moving forward with some discovery. And so, and so you, in the Ferris case, you succeeded in getting an order to produce the information you sought, yet y'all worked out a different way to resolve so the case. Is that right? Just kind of not to get too deep into it, but just give you some context. This is like there was only one prior reported case of something like this happening in the world that we could find, like in Australia or something. Right. And this was one of the only times that it had happened while a vehicle was actually in motion on a highway. I think it might have been the first time that it actually happened. There was very little chance we felt like that we were going to be able to make a punitive damage case out of it because there had not been a lot of prior instances for Mac to be on notice on. So for us to waive that didn't feel like we were giving up much. And, um, and I think they did not want us to discover some things because there might be other cases that were coming up coming from that defect. This was very early on in discovery of that defect and, right. and things starting to happen with it. Then moving back on track, I'm sorry for diverting, but on the June on Monday, June the tenth, you, you didn't speak to Alec any during the day, as I understand it. Monday would have been June seventh, but I don't I, I'm sorry, That's Monday, okay. June seventh. Yeah. yeah, I don't remember speaking to him on that day earlier so, in the day. But you had some things you needed to talk to him about. Uh, yeah. and you mentioned a case where potential product liability case yes sir and that whoever was holding the equipment wanted to either you got to come inspect it or don't inspect it yeah, they wanted us to go ahead and get it inspected so that they could put it back into operation we needed to gather what we wanted from it so they could repair it and put it back in operation and so um alec calling you on monday june the 7th was not surprising right no sir i mean because you could talk multiple times a day you just hadn't talked this day yes sir and um when um, and you would talk to him when he was traveling, uh, you know, to the office and, and back to Moselle frequently. I mean, it wasn't the first time you'd ever talked to him when he left Moselle or coming back to Moselle. I mean, I, I mean, I don't know where somebody is when I'm talking to him on the phone, but I mean, it it oftentimes he would say I'm you know headed to Moselle or I'm leaving the office. I mean, it felt like a lot of times when he do the same thing I do, you make your phone calls while you're in the car because you're busy doing other stuff if you're at the office or wherever else. But but it was a little more than that. I mean, you, you, you knew that when he was coming up to Moselle, the phone would phone normally service, drop. Phone service is bad out there, yes, sir. And you'd drop a call, would you not? Yes, sir. And you've been out in Moselle a lot, haven't you? Uh, yes, sir. And calls get dropped out there frequently, do they not? Uh, yes, sir. And you can frankly be in one part of the house and maybe have coverage and be in another part of the house and not have coverage, right? I don't really know about parts of the house, but I mean, there'd be times that I'd be on the phone that I would drop service or not be able to get on the internet or do things like right. that. And and, this and, body. and just driving around the rural areas, I guess you know some areas where there's just dead spots and you just know there's going to be a dead spot coming up. Very much so. And there were such spots on Moselle Road, were they not? For me, when I was trying to use my phone, yes, sir. 
And with that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, The Trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we conclude our review of the cross-examination of Chris Wilson. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced, written, and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Trial audio is courtesy of Law & Crime Networks. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.